Good morning, church. It is a beautiful day today out here. Aren't you glad that the God we serve, it, it, he, he knows, he knows the inner workings of our hearts and everything that we do for him. You know, worship encompasses one aspect of singing and, and, and playing an instrument, but worship is everything. But aren't you glad that how he views us is not based on an outward appearance or some kind of production, right? Because it's not the sound of your voice. It's the intent of your heart. It's where your gaze is at. It's what you are focused in on. Who is the, the gaze of your worship, of your affection? Amen? Amen. And, and that, that's what matters. That's what the Lord is concerned with. What is the condition of our heart and how are we directing it towards him? He said the rocks will cry out if no one will honor and worship him. We shouldn't be those that ever let some rocks on the ground praise the Lord more than us. Amen. For what he has done for us and for his kingdom coming one day. Uh, excited for today. We're outside. This is this is, you know, we've made this some sort of annual tradition. Not all traditions are bad. Some traditions are good. And this is uh, what I believe is a good tradition. Get, so get outside of those those four walls and just be out. And just, you know, it's just have fellowship out here at the park. And so um, I'm excited to bring Revelation 16. That's where we're in. We're actually this was a three part series. We've taken some time in this chapter. We've been going through the seven bowls of God's wrath and we'll continue on. This will be the last portion of uh, this three part series this morning. And uh it's going to be short. <laughs> I know that's you probably don't can't take that with much seriousness coming out of my mouth, but it, it's not going to be uh, too long. Uh, but please stay attentive, because what is found in this portion of Scripture is uh, very important for us as believers and also for the world at large. The, the, the Lord's desire is that every person come to repentance and a, and a change regenerated heart by the means of his son, Jesus Christ. And so I truly believe these prophecies and these warnings are uh, not necessarily just for the church, but they're for those who are still in a place of opposition against the Lord. And if it be his will, they would turn and repent. So uh, we're in Revelation chapter 16. We're going to be in verses 17 down through 21. This message is entitled The Seven Bowls of God's Wrath, Part 3. Uh, when you get there and if you're able body, please stand for the reading of God's word. Let's not be ashamed just because we're outside the building. We stand for God. We stand for presence. We stand for the Lord. That's another tradition that I believe is a good tradition. All right. Revelation chapter 16, starting in verse 17. And it says the seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air and a loud voice came out of the temple from the throne saying it is done. And there were flashes of lightning, rumblings. Peals of thunder and a great earthquake such as there never had been since man was on the earth. So great was the earthquake. The great city was split into three parts and the cities of the nations fell. And God remembered Babylon the great to make her drain the cup of the wine of the fury of his wrath. And every island fled away and no mountains were to be found. And a great hailstones about 100 pounds each 
fell from heaven on people and they cursed God for the plague of the hail because the plague was so severe. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, I thank you for just this opportunity to hear from you through your word. Lord, we pray that you would clear us of any distractions, Lord, anything that would hinder your word from going forth. May we be pliable and shapeable, Lord, you are the potter and we are the clay. Even in uh, a, a portion of scripture as peculiar as this, there's something that you have for us this morning and you have uh, uh, what is applicable to our lives this day. So, Father, please speak freely through your word, Lord. May I be used as your instrument, Lord. Empty me of myself, Lord. May the words from my mouth be of you and not of myself. Father, I thank you and I praise you. We pray this all in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right. You may be seated. So last week we covered, uh, if you weren't here, the fifth and sixth bowls of wrath being poured out onto the earth, the peoples of the earth, uh, those that are still in opposition to the Lord who worship Satan through the world system. As the fifth bowl was poured out upon the throne of the beast and his kingdom, all who worshiped him were plunged into darkness. That was a, 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 a uh, a prelude, if you will, of, of actual hell itself, of, of being separated from the Lord for eternity. And this is what was happening upon the earth. At, at this, this will be happening at that time in the future. Uh, the sixth bore was pulled out and the great river Euphrates was dried up when that happened. And out of the mouth of uh, the dragon, the beast and the false prophet came forth the unholy. Uh, this unholy trinity came forth three unclean spirits. That's what the, the scripture said, as we read last week. And they resembled frogs. And if you know anything about ancient Jewish history, the way that they viewed frogs, they didn't think kindly of those creatures. They looked at them as grotesque and, and ugly, not only by uh, how they looked, but actually what came out from them. So they thought they were unclean animals and they did not engage with any kind of amphibian. So I guess Kermit the Frog would be ousted in any Jewish home. No Muppets is going on there. But anyways, these unclean spirits were actually, we know that unclean spirits are demons, right? We, we are in agreement with that. There is the Holy Spirit and there are all kind of unclean spirits. A third of the angels that had fallen with uh, Lucifer who then became Satan. So uh, these unclean spirits were performing signs and wonders, gathering the kingdoms of the world to unite together to wage war against God. And then finally, we were encouraged last week to remain clothed in Jesus Christ, to, to always keep the new man, the new person who's Christ, the second Adam on, to never take off the full armor of God. We know about that, right? Uh, the, the belt of truth, the shoes of peace, the breastplate of righteousness, the helmet of salvation, the uh, shield of faith, and the sword of the Spirit. These are to be, it's basically the embodiment of Jesus Christ. <laughs> it's all good. I was like, is that the ice? What is going on? <laughs> um, we were encouraged to be ready at all times. To be ready at all times because we know that the Lord Jesus Christ is going to return like a thief in the night. Nobody knows the day, the hour, but he will return. And when he returns, he's going to return in all his splendor and all his glory as the conquering king, bringing forth his kingdom, the kingdom, that government system that will rule forever. We see the world system as it is today, right? We see the governmental systems of the world and how they are so flawed. 
One day they will be replaced by God's kingdom for eternity. He's waiting for us. Obviously, he's waiting for souls that have not turned back to him. But he's also giving the church time to be used rightfully for his purposes, to bring honor and glory, to to proclaim the truth of who Jesus Christ is and his his glorious kingdom to the ends of the earth. And also for us to be spotless and blameless upon his return. That's what he said. He wants the church to be spotless and blameless without wrinkle. And we see, we know we're uh, imperfect people, but we also, that's not an excuse to just do whatever we want. We see that there's much work that needs to be done within the church. Amen. It's within the church that Satan unleashes his ministers to try to get people discouraged and downcast and to fall away and turn their back on him. And as we see, the Bible is clear. When in the time of the last days, many false teachers will arise. People will heap up for them teachers of their own liking because they have itchy ears. They don't want to endure sound doctrine. They want to hear whatever they like to please them. But we know no matter what our perspective is, the truth remains the truth. One plus one equals two, no matter how you cut it. Amen. And the word of God is unchangeable. And so the things we find in God's word, the precepts and the principles of the truth of God will never change. Old school, old school right there. Today, we're going to look closer at the seventh and final bowl of God's wrath and what that means for humanity. And as we're accustomed to, we have several main points this morning. Oh, man, if my father-in-law was here, he'd be he'd be doing, you know, he'd be doing the he'd be doing the cholo dance. All right. We have several main points. And the first one is this with the seventh bowl being poured out upon God's earth. got to give time for that that's a loud engine (laughs) with the seventh bowl being poured out of God's wrath it's finally appeased his wrath is finally done with this seventh bowl we've gone through the first six and today we're focusing in on the seventh as punishment for mankind's sin God will pour out his wrath during the seventh the seven-year tribulation period this is what we're talking about as we've been going through the last several uh weeks or month or so this is the final time that humanity will be called to repentance and worship him in in faithfulness and in truth uh, this judgment is composed of three series of sevens we had the seven seals earlier in the book of revelation we had the seven trumpets and now we're here at the seven bowls Really, if you look at it, it's really encompassing. I'm using that word today. That's my word this morning, encompassing. It's encompassing God's mercy and his grace, so much so that he has this threefold of his uh, righteous judgments coming out upon the earth. God's wrath is described in Revelation chapter 16, verses 1 through 21. And this is where we currently are in our study. It's interesting, again, that each bowl represents the destruction of something God made way back in Genesis. If you go back to Genesis chapters 1 and 2, you will see see this clearly. And again, it's synonymous, these judgments, with the ten plagues of Exodus in Egypt. But when you think about it, as bad as Egypt's uh, catastrophic judgments were, God is capable of bringing such a terrible judgment upon Egypt all of sinful humanity once again not just a portion but all that was just one nation this time it will be encompassing that's that word again 
the entire world, all of humanity. On a global scale, he is going to render righteous justice, uh, righteous judgment, excuse me, to those who refuse to repent around this world. You see, no matter what your perception of the world and yourself is, the reality is we are broken and we live in a broken, fallen world. You see, sin has produced brokenness within us and no human aid can fix that. When you look at the different sectors of society and you look at the different people that are trying to alleviate problems and praise God for those that look to feed the homeless and help the disenfranchised and all the different things that are going on. But you see, in and of itself, that will never produce the everlasting healing that humanity needs. It's only a temporary fix. It is the Lord Jesus Christ alone who came into this world to take away the sins of the people of this world to restore the earth and to foretell about his kingdom of God that will one day reign supreme upon this earth. He is the only one that can make this right. And he will. Every wrong will be made right one day. Maybe you're in a situation or a circumstance this morning and you don't know what's going on. You don't understand why these things are happening. You have a heavy heart and a burden and it doesn't seem like things are going to get better. Well, in the big, in the grand scheme of things, the Lord will always make every wrong right. And though things are not fair in this life, as I was listening to a message the other day and the pastor was talking about, you know, this world is broken. All you have to do is think about it. And, you know, why do, unfortunately, some pretty young women walking home from whatever school or whatever get raped and people cheat on their taxes and do faulty business dealings and they get away with it. And it just seems like this world is just such a hot mess. One day it'll all be righted. But for now we are riding it out, so to speak, with the Lord, trying to do all we can to for us to remain faithful and obedient and be a blessing to others. Amen. You see, but for those who refuse this reality of their depraved state, like they are in denial, I, there's nothing wrong with me. I'm OK. <laughs> I can do it through my intellect, through my will. They will face the wrath of almighty God. You see, the sores that we talked about last week, the sea of blood, the river of blood, the scorching sun, the darkness, the war, and God's fury can all be traced back, back to sin and what sin has caused in our lives. Most importantly, you can see the connection between what the Lord has created, but then because of rebellion and unconfessed sin, he is forced to take drastic measures against those who curse him and don't give him glory. That's what we're dealing with in any uh, stretch of time throughout human history. That's the condition. And that's what's been going on. It's not that God is bloodthirsty and his desire is to cause people harm or pain, but it is our unwillingness to repent. It is our unwillingness to humble ourselves and see him as he truly is. And so because he's holy and just and righteous, he cannot have dealings with sin and sinful people. So he gave his son and he, he made every out possible so you and I can be reconciled. So uh, as Romans says, we are without excuse. The truth is there. The gift is there for the taking. You see, but the individual has to receive the gift. He will not force feed and shove the gift down your throat or through your ears. Amen. You have to willingly receive it and want him and he'll come in and dine with you and you, he will call you friend. Amen. Amen. Now we see this pattern 
all throughout Scripture. And there is no real number to try to estimate how many people the Lord's wrath has come upon in the Bible. Some have tried to put together an extensive list, and even that is just an estimation. I was doing some research this week, and what I found was uh, they, uh, many Bible scholars and theologians of the Word say about 25 million people have come under God's wrath throughout history. Um, and I'm only going to name a few, a few because it's the list is so exhaustive. Oh, my gosh. You can go throughout the word and you can see the Lord dealing with people groups, whether it is Israelites, all the Hittites, the Jebusites, the Parasites, everybody. But he deals with people when they are in rebellion. But uh, just think about the flood in Noah's day, uh, the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, Samson killing a thousand men with the jawbone uh, of a donkey, the killing of Eli's sons and 34,000 Israelite soldiers. Uh, like I said, this is that's just the tip of the iceberg. I'm just trying to get give you a visual picture of those who have incurred God's wrath because of their failure to repent and get right with the Lord God Almighty and move in the pathway and the trajectory to live out their lives under his uh, influence and and reign in their lives. Deuteronomy chapter 32, verses 32 down through 43, 42, excuse me. This speaks of God's wrath towards sin. And it says, see now that I, even I am him. And there is no God besides me. I kill and I make alive. I wound and I heal. And there is none that can deliver out of my hand. For I lift up my hand to heaven and swear as I live forever. If I sharpen my flashing sword and my hand takes hold on judgment, I will take vengeance on my adversaries and I will repay those who hate me. I will make my arrows drunk with blood and my sword shall devour flesh with the blood of the slain and the captives from the long haired heads of the enemy. <laughs> I laugh because somebody come into a church service, they don't want to hear that. They're like, what are you talking about? You see, but we don't we don't compromise the word of God. This is how serious the Lord deems sin. He hates it. He hates it with the passion. But he also has that same good love that loves those who humble themselves. And he offers forgiveness to anyone, any person that would say, I need you. I see my depraved state and I, I've tried everything my own way and it doesn't work. Let me try your way. But you know, again, that's a, this is, this is not the cookie cutter type of thing that our society is interested in. This is the word of God. And there are many facets to the Lord. You see, we always must remember that the Lord's patience with his creation is only so long. Many times we think, oh, well, you know, I got time. I can just do my own thing. It's okay. I'm not ready. I'm not ready. I've been there, done that. 17 years, I'm not ready. It's like the Lord's like, you want to live out your ordained days or not, it's time for you to turn back. You see, the seventh bowl being poured out is the final straw. Or, you know, that saying, the straw that broke the camel's back. There are no more chances after this. That's it. And that's our first main point. The wrath of God's uh, anger is going to be fulfilled with this seventh bowl of wrath being poured out. The second main point is this. The seventh bowl has a direct connection to Jesus's final words on the cross. Uh, Revelation chapter 16 verse 17 states, The seventh angel poured out his bowl onto the air and a loud voice came out of the temple from the throne saying, It is done. 
If you're uh, Latin or if you're Italian, finito. I have a client. He always says, is it finito? Is it finished? I think I said that before, <laughs> but it's funny to me. But this is, yes, it is done. It's finito. It's finished. Does this sound familiar? In John chapter 19, verse 30, Jesus said, tetelestai, or it is finished. Well, what exactly is finished? The final sacrifice to appease God the Father's wrath. No longer will the Israelites need to find a spotless lamb to have a priest sacrifice for their sins on the Day of Atonement once a year. That's what Jesus' death appeased. The Lord Jesus Christ laid down his life as that perfect, spotless, sinless lamb for the sins of the world. Not only for all the Jewish people of the world, but for all Gentiles as well, for all times, past, present, and future. Now, the seventh bowl being poured out in the statement, it is done, is very similar to uh, the statement that Jesus Christ made. The exception is this. Instead of God's forgiveness being final, it is God's wrath being final. We had just talked about that. There will be no more wrath being poured out upon rebellious mankind after this seventh bowl is finished. After the battle of Armageddon, no more pain, no more tears, no more sorrow, no more depression, no more death. Some of us are experiencing that today, right? We, we see the finality of this life in the physical when a loved one is, passes away or is, you know, in that place where they're not well. But one day the Lord will make all this right and there will be no more death. There will be no more sin. There will be unhindered fellowship with the Lord. Our best day of fellowship with the Lord will seem like crumbs compared to an eternity with him where we can actually be before the Lord face to face. I can only imagine. It's just like that song, right? I can only imagine what, what am I going to do? I'm going to fall on my face, cast my crown upon him, upon the floor and just worship him because he is grateful, being so uh, thankful for him saving me from myself, from my own sinful ways. You see, the un unfair things that we see going on daily will be forever done away with. Jehovah Shalom, the God of peace, will set up his eternal kingdom and put an end to Satan's reign of terror upon humanity. And we look forward to that day, amen? We look forward to that day because there's so much death and destruction and you can easily get depressed if you take your eyes off of Jesus and focus in on all these circumstances surrounding you and I. I always say, don't spend too much time on the news because you'll just find yourself either depressed, scared, or upset. All right, the third main point is this. The earthquake that will destroy all nations, tear Jerusalem into three, and cause Babylon to crumble will again finalize God's wrath, similar to the earthquake when Jesus laid his life down upon the cross. Remember when the, 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 the veil in the temple was torn, symbolizing there is now no barrier between people to worship God the Father freely. Again, we see that there is a definite pattern in God's word. He, 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 he displays things so we can see over and over again as we are sheep. We need those reminders. And I, I, I just love how God's word shows us and orchestrates these, these patterns so we can pick up on it and, and get the drift of what the Lord is trying to say to us. When Jesus Christ died, there was a severe earthquake that shook the entire world and tore the veil in the Holy of Holies in the temple. Before this happened, only priests could go into the Holy of Holies and only they could sacrifice that spotless animal 
for the people. But they actually had to make atonement for their own sins. So they had to have their own spotless animals so they could sacrifice this animal so they could even go into the presence of God. But you see, Jesus Christ changed this forever. Once Jesus gave his life, humanity now can draw close to God the Father through him. We no longer need a human priest to intercede for us. We have our great high priest, who is Jesus Christ, who intercedes on our behalf before the Father. We know, amen, that that's what he's doing right now. He's at the right hand of God the Father. Right hand is, the, is a symbolism of authority and all, all power. And he is at the right hand of God the Father. And he is interceding on your behalf and my behalf. Many times we, uh, so the, the word talks about uh, the groanings. That we don't even know what, what to pray for, but the Holy Spirit in conjunction with the Lord Jesus Christ, because they are all one and the same and God the Father, right? They are interceding on our behalf. We have complete access to God the Father now, so we can have a genuine, intimate relationship because of Jesus. There's no going back to that old system. In a similar way, the earthquake that happens in where we're at, Revelation chapter 16 that will destroy all the nations of the earth and tear Jerusalem into three pieces will symbolize, again, the end of God's wrath towards men. That's a beautiful thing. You see, this is the caveat. It's going to get worse before it gets better. And a lot of people don't want to hear that. They want to hear, I wanted Disneyland all the time. I wanted peaches and roses and, and you know, I want it to just be nice and sunny all the time. But the reality is there are things that humanity has to walk through in order to get to that place of God bringing his kingdom and the Lord Jesus returning. We can see it. You see it all around you. But again, like Peter walking on the water, we need to make Jesus our primary focus. That way we can walk through the storms of life and not be hindered by the craziness that's all around us. You see, we take our eyes off of Christ, just like Peter, we are going to sink. And what did he say? You of little faith. Don't let your faith be little today. Don't let your perspective and your, your, your view of who God is be small. Even though Satan is the God of this earth, you understand, right, that God has all control. That God has all power. He has all authority to do whatever he wishes upon this earth, even though Satan is given a leash, a short leash at that, to run havoc in this world. It has to be okayed by the Lord. Satan has to go before God and say, can I do this? Satan can't just do whatever he wants. Those crummy demons of his can't do whatever they want. They have to go before the Lord. And just like Job, many times we may find ourselves in circumstances and situations where it's very difficult and we're asking why? Lord, why are you allowing this to happen? Could it be if you are a faithful follower of Jesus Christ that he is allowing the difficulties of life to mold and shape you into what he wants you to become. That's a perspective that we should have. And the reality is all rebelliousness will be put to bed and everyone will need to make an account of what they had done, whether for good or for evil. That's, that's why it's, it's a good thing, the best thing to make peace with the Lord God today. If you hear the Lord's voice today, do not harden your heart. Today is the day of salvation. The last thing you and I would ever want is to die and die in our sins and not be forgiven and be right with the Lord. If we are right with the Lord, what does the word say? 
Don't fear man who can only take your physical body, but fear the Lord God Almighty. I'm paraphrasing, obviously, but the one who can not only take your life, but can cause you to go down into the bottomless pit. And so if we are made right with the Lord, there's nothing that this world can do to us. The greatest extent is they can cause us physical harm. But that is it. But you understand we are more than just a body. This is uh, and not to abuse the body, but our body is somewhat of a cadaver. This is just the outward shell of who we really are. Your character, the inner workings of you. That is who you truly are. And you, you're, 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 who you are is going to live on far beyond this, 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 this life. How many of us can, can name four generations back, our great-grandparents? Okay, not many. That shows you the futility of life, how short this life is. Even if you lived 100 years, that's nothing in the span of eternity where, again, another one of my clients always says, I can't write down enough zeros. I said, you're making my brain hurt. I can't think of all the zeros that go on in eternity, but eternity will never end. So why don't we make the decision today and say, I stand upon the rock of Jesus Christ. I stand upon your word and I am going to live out the rest of my days honoring you in all I do. Amen. All right. Um, because this this portion of scripture is so short, we're, we're actually going to go through everything right now. So uh, verses 17 down through 21, I'll read them again just for the sake of context. And it says, the seventh angel poured out his uh, his bowl in the air and a loud voice came out of the temple and the throne saying, it is done. And there were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder and a great earthquake such as there had never been since man was on the earth. So great was that earthquake. That the great city was split into three. And the cities of the nations fell, and God remembered Babylon the great to make her drain the cup of wine of the fury of his wrath. And every island fled away, and no mountains were to be found. A great, and great hailstones, about 100 pounds each, fell from heaven on the people, and they cursed God for the plagues of the hail because the plagues were so severe. That this is how serious the Lord takes sin and us to be right with Him and to make provisions for us. First, we see this statement, poured out His bowl in the air. The fact that this bowl is poured out into the air may show judgment against the prince of the power of the air. We know that to be who? Satan, right? And all his alleys, all his cronies. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 and 2 says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sin in which you once walked. Follow the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at war in the sons of disobedience. That is, a, that is a statement that's saying we need to stay away from that, pull away from that. We've been delivered from Satan. We are now to walk in newness of life in Jesus Christ. We see this statement, it is done. This announcement comes from the throne of God itself and tells us that there will be no more delay. In mercy, the Lord God has stretched out this scene as much as he possibly could. These seals were followed by trumpets, then the trumpets were followed by bowls. We talked about this a moment ago. There will be no more judgment upon the earth after this. It is finished. The application is this. In this progression of righteous judgment, we see the long-suffering mercy and the heart of God. The fact is the seals, the trumpet blasts, the bowls of wrath were three different sets of judgments that reveal the heart of God. You see, here in the time 
of revelation, He will give humanity time and time and time again to repent in response to their uh, disobedience. Just look at the Old Testament and all the times He forgave Israel. The reality is, He could have simply annihilated the human existence with one swipe of His finger. It's like closing a tab on an iPhone, right? You just go like this. Like, how many of you have like 15 tabs open? <laughs> you got all these tabs open. Veronica said, don't do that. You're, you're overloading the phone. I'm like, I don't, I don't care. But it's, it's, it's as quick as that. The Lord could annihilate this whole earth. But he chooses not to. He, he gives us time and time again the opportunity to repent and get right with him. And so we must take advantage of his goodness in the sense of now is the time. May we not wait another day thinking we have the opportunity. The opportunity may not come. He says we don't even know what the hour may bring, let alone the day. We are not in control of our lives, but our lives walk in the provision of God Almighty. You see, this is an example. I, I truly believe that sometimes even we as Christians get in trouble because, again, we have too small a view of who God truly is. There is a portion of Scripture in Isaiah chapter 44, verse 12, and I'll read it. It says, the ironsmith, this is speaking of those who practice idolatry and worship idols and create idols back in the day day. I know we don't do this now. We don't make them. We don't fashion them out of wood or metal, but we still have idols. And it says, the ironsmith takes a cutting tool and works it over the coals. He fashions it with hammers and works with his strong arm. He becomes hungry and his strength fails. He drinks no water and is faint. You see, the humans that create gods for themselves... They themselves grow weak. They grow weary. Why should we worship something or someone who grows weak and weary? This is opposite of who God is. Who made light work of creating the universe and this earth by simply speaking it into existence. He made light work of it. It wasn't no thing for the Lord to say. He hovered over the firmament. He said, let there be light, and light appeared. But here we have the contrast. This man who's using his strong, mighty arm to form and fashion this metal object <laughs> to, to praise it and to worship it, and yet he's tired at the end. Genesis chapter 1, verse 3 says, And he said, let there be light, and there was light. You see, the Lord God Almighty El Shaddai, he didn't break a sweat. He wasn't faint. And he didn't need to stop for a water break. This is the same all-powerful God who showed the most patience that he could waiting for creation to repent. This is the same God that we serve. You see, but here comes a point even with the Lord God because he can't violate his holy character that the plug must be pulled. There has to come an end to this thing called sin, this thing called disobedience. Final judgment must be rendered. And this is where we are in our text today. Again, the statement, it is done, is similar to when Jesus said, it is finished. This simply means there is no going back. The plan of the Lord is set into motion and nothing in heaven, on earth, or below the earth can change what has been done. And this is where we see the statement, there was a great earthquake, such as a mighty great quake that occurred never before since man had been on the earth. These final judgments, God shakes the earth with a tremendous earthquake, the same as promised in Hebrews chapter 26, verses, or excuse me, 12 verses 26 down through 29. 
and I'll read it for the sake of context. And it says, At that time his voice shook the earth, but now he promised yet once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken. That is, things that have been made in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. That means his kingdom, his godly kingdom that will reign forever. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. You see, again, we go back to this idea of worship. We just need, that's what's acceptable worship. With reverence and awe. We, we must understand it is the fear of God that will keep you and I from doing foolish things from making poor choices, from doing things we shouldn't be doing, from hanging with the wrong people, from getting into riffraff with cats that we shouldn't be involved with, the fear of God. Because we must ask ourselves, every decision we make, will this honor you, Lord? Is what I'm about to do, is this going to honor you? And if it's not going to honor you, I want to flee from it. I want to flee from it, right? I want to flee from it and have nothing to do with it. Just as when Jesus gave up his life upon the cross... There was a severe earthquake. We see this right here in, in Revelation chapter 16. Here, as the Lord's final judgment is rendered to an unbelieving world, there will be an earthquake like the world has never seen. Great Babylon was remembered before God. He's going to give her the cup of wine of his fierce judgment and wrath. The fallen city, which is Babylon, this world system, this world system that operates under uh, the the premise of I am my own God or I worship all these many gods not Jesus Christ the true and living God this is the Babylon that's being talked about here God will give her the cup of wine of his fierceness this describes a passionate outburst of anger of his wrath describing a standing state of anger this com combination of fierceness and wrath combined for the strongest kind of outpouring of divine judgment that the world will ever see and then we see this statement of great hail from heaven fell upon men. Each hailstone about weighing a hundred pounds. Men respond, unfortunately, in utter unrepentance and a depraved state. They blaspheme the name of God because of the plagues of the hail. Now we have to understand what hail represents in the Bible. It's frequently used as a tool of judgment against God's enemies. Remember in Exodus chapter 9, verse 24, there was hail and fire flashing continually on the midst, in the midst of the hail, very heavy hail, such as had never been in all the land of Egypt since it became a nation. There's many more. Um, I won't read them, but Joshua chapter 10, verse 11, if you are writing down notes, that's another one. In, in regards to the Canaanites and hail being cast upon them for their disobedience. Also, uh, the apostate Israel, when Israel was in disobedience, God used hail as a form of judgment upon them for them to return. That's in Isaiah chapter 28, verse 2. Gog and Magog, that's found in Ezekiel chapter 38, verse 22. I give those examples to show you it's just not a one-off. All right, there's a pattern here, and we see this. In each of these instances, hail rained down from heaven as a tool of God's judgment, not as a corrective chastisement of God's own people. It's interesting because back when we lived at Spanish Gate, this had to be at least a, maybe a year and a half ago. It was in the middle of the pandemic because I for sure was still working at home. But do you guys remember when uh, we kind of had that little hail, hail storm, that light one here in this area? Well, our back 
patio, I have video footage on my phone still, the patio got so flooded because the way our patio was, it wasn't leveled. They never leveled it right when they made it. And so we had a dip and everything drained back to the garage. So we had all this hail. And, uh, you know, my son was just so excited and he's videotaping and he's like, man, it wouldn't snow, this and that. But, you know, as I was studying this this week, you know, it just the thought came to my mind. Could it be that, you know, God wasn't happy with us because the meteorologists and everybody on TV, they're all happy. Oh, yeah, we had hail, blah, 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 in California, this and that, the Bay Area. But what the Bible says is when hail comes, hail is a form of showing the Lord showing that he's not pleased with what's going on. And, and you know, in my personal time, I... You know, the Lord brought to my mind the image, because I see it every every week. Every Sunday morning when I go up to open up the church doors, I always see my, my wife loves these these foothills. Are they foothills? They're not mountains. Okay, whatever. Whatever they are, they're big, <laughs> right? But they're always looking ugly. And, 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 and in my private time, I've been in Deuteronomy lately a lot. And if you're familiar with that book, God says over and over, if you obey me, if you obey, you will go into the land. You will possess the land. The land will produce for you. You will prosper. Your children will prosper. And, and I looked back at that. I said, Lord, why, why is it like that? Why are we struggling with, everyone's talking about, we don't have no rain. We, you know, the, we don't have this. We don't have that. Could it be that as a culture, we are disobedient? And the Lord is saying, I am not going to bless this land because you have turned your face from me. You have turned your back on me. You try to put me on a shelf. You worship things made by hand. You worship technology. You worship all this stuff, but you don't spend time with me. You don't obey me. You don't love me. Look at what I've done for you. I've created you. I've made you in my moral image. I have set the right path for you to take, and you keep taking the wrong path. Could it be that we're not getting the rain we want, hail comes, the hills or the mountains are dry because we're in disobedience. Well, us as the church, we could be used to stem the tide to change that by reviving our own hearts and desire to do the right thing and serve Him. Amen? The application is this. Despite their suffering, many still will not repent. Some say, if I were afflicted, I might be converted. If I was bedridden and I was about to die, maybe I'll be saved. But you see, that's not how it works. Sickness and sorrow in and of themselves are no help for salvation. Pain and poverty are not evangelists. Disease and despair are not apostles. The person that was unjust in this life is going to be unjust in the life to come. There is nothing in pain and in suffering that can, by their own nature, move a person to purification. It, not, it must be a, a, a heart that is convicted and turns back to the Lord Jesus Christ. In conclusion, ending this message, it can be said that the book of Revelation is a great chapter. Because we saw that word great all throughout this chapter. Uh, it describes great evil, a great city, great Babylon. It describes great tools of judgment, great heat, a great river that dried up, a great earthquake, and a great hail and great plagues. But it also, and most importantly, describes a great God. His great voice and great day of victory. I want to leave us with this portion of scripture before I, Isaiah and Michelle come back up. As I was studying throughout the week, 
the Lord led me to Psalm chapter 18. And it describes King David being delivered by the Lord and his enemies, being destroyed by an earthquake, hail, and sulfur. This is, again, a great contrast to those who put their faith in Jesus Christ and will be delivered, and those who will not. And that's what we see in our message this morning. I'll go ahead and read, and I'll start in verse 1. And it says, I, this, is speak, this is King David speaking, I love you, Lord. You are my strength. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my Savior. My God is my rock in whom I find protection. He is my shield, the power that saves me, and my place of safety. I called upon the Lord who is worthy of praise, and He saved me from my enemies. The ropes of death entangled me. Floods of destruction swept over me. The grave wrapped its ropes around me. Death laid a trap in my path. But in my distress, I cried out to the Lord. Yes, I prayed to my God for help. He heard me from his sanctuary. My cry to him reached his ears. Then the earth quaked and trembled. The foundations of the mountain shook. They quaked because of his anger. Smoke poured from his nostrils. Fierce flames leaped from his mouth. Glowing coals blazed forth from him. He opened the heavens and came down. Dark storm clouds were beneath his feet. Mounted on a mighty angelic being, he flew, soaring on the wings of the wind. He shrouded himself in darkness, veiling his approach with dark rain clouds. Thick clouds shielded the brightness around him and rained down hail and burning coals. The Lord thundered from heaven. The voice of the Most High resounded amid the hail and the burning coals. He shot his arrows and scattered his enemies. Great bolts of lightning flashed and they were confused. Then, at your command, O Lord, at the blast of your breath, the bottom of the sea could be seen and the foundations of the earth were laid bare. He reached down from heaven and rescued me. He drew me out of deep waters. He rescued me from my powerful enemies. From those who hated me and were too strong for me. They attacked me at a moment when I was in distress. But the Lord supported me. He led me to a place of safety. He rescued me because He delights in me. The Lord rewarded me for doing what is right. He restored me because of my innocence. For I have kept the ways of the Lord. I have not turned from my God to follow evil. I have followed all his regulations. I have never abandoned his decrees. I am blameless before God, for I have kept myself from sin. The Lord rewarded me for doing right. He has seen me as innocent. May that be said of us, that we turn from wickedness. We turn from this idolatry. We turn from all of this new age spirituality and numerology and all these things trying to calculate and figure things out. And we turn to the true and living God who is above all this. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we thank you that you love us so much that you give warning after warning after warning. Your desire is to see us turn back to you. Lord, so that we can be fulfilled in the trueness and fullness of you. This life is truly about pleasing you, identifying with you, and making our lives count for what you want them to count for. That we could be a blessing to others in the world around us as we see those going and just going off astray. 
May you keep us on the straight and narrow path, Father. We thank you and we just pray that you would give us the ability to live out this truth in our lives. We pray this all in Jesus Christ's name.